June. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurengai and Dauruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Atara, where I'm recording today. Are you having good weather? We're having really good weather. It's very spring-like out there. Yeah, we're actually having amazing weather. Like yesterday was really sunny. Today's really sunny. I think tomorrow's also going to be sunny. And I don't know about Monday, but it's a public holiday. So, you know, win, win, win across the board. That's amazing. I am so glad you're having like an actual springtime. I was really hoping you would have good weather. Did you have a moment of wonder this week? I did. Okay, so... As you know, my youngest child is obsessed with sloths, mm-hmm. and we love watching Planet Earth 2, the Islands episode, because the sloth, the pygmy sloth, swims, and it is the best episode. But he has a book on sloths and, like, has little facts and stuff. And I just have, like, left books in the car for my kids since they could hold a book. And he finally picked it up and read it this week. So the other day I was quizzing him, like, oh, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite dinner? What's your favorite breakfast? Where do you want to go on a holiday? And he said, I want to go to South America to see sloths. Aww. And I was like, that's really specific. Because, I mean, he might say he wants to go camping or go to the beach. But, like, those are ideas of holidays, not things we really do. Like, my husband goes camping, but we as a family haven't yet. And... I hate the beach, so you won't catch me at a beach, right? But like actually going on a holiday, he sort of had connected that you could go and see a sloth. Mm. And now I really want to make it happen. And I'm like Googling if there's a way we can visit sloths and like, are they friendly or not? And they're not really. And is there one in Australia? Because if there's one at a zoo, I can get there and there isn't. Just Mm. so excited that he actually asked to go to a specific place and see a sloth and now I really want to know if I can. Oh, that's so cute. I was just like Googling to see if Wellington Zoo has a sloth. Should come to Wellington and meet the sloth. Yeah, honestly, if there was one in Australia, I would have probably been like, yeah, we'll just go to that zoo. But there isn't. But yeah, if you guys have one for sure. I can't remember. We definitely have red pandas, which are very cute. Mm, Taronga has those too, and they're adorable. They're They're down by the big ramp, so you like have the harbor behind you and then the red pandas. So it's like the last thing you see before you head back down to the the sky cars, which are great. In a couple weeks, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to let the kids wag school and we're going to go to the zoo for the day. Nice. First excursion in a while. Mm. So how about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Um, I had a lovely moment of wonder yesterday. I had the day off work. I just decided to have mm. a four-day weekend. And then around four, I went around to my friend's house. She's just bought a new house. So she kind of gave us a little house tour and we sat on her new deck drinking delicious things and eating cheese. And I got to cuddle her puppies. So she's got two dogs. And Charlie just jumped off straight on my lap and just stayed there basically the whole night. And it was great. And then before we knew it, it was like 9 p.m. And it was just really, really nice and chilled and low maintenance and delightful. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. They are beautiful dogs. Thank you for sharing pictures with me. You are welcome. I'll put some in the show notes. Yay. I just love fluffy puppies. They are the best. They're the best of the world. Yay. I'm glad you had a good day and I'm glad you got to have a relaxing Friday off. That's the best. It was amazing. It was much needed. And you had ice cream too, didn't you? Yeah, I, I tried to go to the gym, but there was no parking. So I went to the grocery shop to do my little shop. And then they've got a, a little dispensary out the front that were doing scoops of ice cream. So I was like, yes, I shall have a scoop of ice cream instead of going to the gym. <laughs> amazing. Living your best life. Churro flavored, which is amazing. Okay, I gotta try this. I'm gonna see how it stacks up to Welsh cake, which is still my 
super favorite flavor ever. Mm. I don't know why it was so good, but sometimes I dream that I'm about to get a Welsh cake ice cream cone from Joe's in Cardiff. And then like, I'm back in Sydney and I'm like, wait, I where's my ice it. cream? I was so close. Oh, it's really cruel. frustrating. We have a lot of really bespoke ice cream places in Wellington for some reason. So this one is Wooden Spoon Freezery, they're called. Hmm. And then there's Duck Island, which is a whole other thing. And then, of course, we've got Ben and Jerry's and the usual ones. But there's like a lot of like boutique ice cream situations that are all very fancy and weird flavored. But that's great. We have that, but for gelato, I think. Oh, yeah, because you've got like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know the ones down at Darling Harbour and stuff that people queue for. Yeah, there's Mm. a lot of gelato around up here. They did put a Baskin Robbins in my shopping center, like between waves of pandemics. I don't know if it's still there, but... Once my kids get the jab, once their jab's okay for the kids, we're all going to go and get a scoop. Yay. That's our (laughs) rituals, getting ice cream after vaccinations. That's a good ritual. Mm. Parenting. I'm just great at it. Just so good. Bribe my kids. Bribe, bribe, bribe. Well, this week we're reading chapters 15 through 19 through the theme of judgment. Uh, And Jenna was wondering, do you have a story about judgment? I do. So I should probably preface this that I am a super judgmental person. (laughs) I am very judgmental. It's probably one of the things I don't really like about myself. And it's also one of the things that every day I start my day being like, okay, today's the day. You're not going to be a judgmental a-hole today. You're going to be nice. (laughs) You're going to be kind. You're going to be all these things. And then, you know, three hours later, I'm texting my friend being like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what just happened. The thing is, I don't actually care how people live their lives. Like, I'm not going to try and stop anyone from doing what they want to do. That's totally fine. But I am going to have a judgy internal monologue about whatever's going on around me at all Uh times. Whether it's what jeans someone's wearing or what pet they've decided to get. I'm always like, judge, judge, judge. Which is terrible. So I was thinking about this when I was trying to come up with a story and I remembered that when I started my current job and like the judgment that came with that. I have mentioned before that I'm an introvert and it does take me a while to get comfortable with new people and new situations. So Mm. I can turn it on for short periods, but not with people I have to form long lasting connections with. You know, I can be super outgoing at a party and that's just a one off thing because I never have to see those people again. But if it's people I'm going to see every day at work, then I'm going to be much more reserved and going to take it slower and trying to get the lay of the land before I yeah. you know before I'm comfortable now due to various bureaucratic reasons when you start at my office you can't sit with your team when you first start you kind of just end up in this like waiting lounge area with lots of random people who are also waiting so when I started there were three other women who'd already been there a while and some of my team members would come down in the morning and they'd all go for coffee so it'd be these five women and they'd go off for coffee and I was new and I was quiet and I usually wasn't there in time to go to coffee with them anyway because like they would go at eight quarter past eight and I usually only come in at quarter at that point I was still trying to be good so I'd be there at 8 30 quarter to nine now it's more like nine nine fifteen um <laughs> now I just want to say that I'm not actually someone who gets upset by the idea of clicks or people being clicky because I have on many occasions also been accused of being clicky myself which I resent because it's not clicky to have friends I don't think there are some people you get on with and you know, those mm. people are the people that you want to spend time with. And then other people are very welcome to have their own groups. I don't resent that at all. But I do really resent forced participation or forced inclusion, which is another example of me being judgy. Anyway, I got it into my head that one of these coffee club women did not like me. You know, she had Aww. very strong opinions. She was not afraid of voicing them at any time if she didn't agree with you. She was just wholly dismissive of my existence and just seemed to just dislike everyone in general. So that's fine. You know, I folded that into my life and just resolved to ignore her. I didn't have to work with her directly she wasn't in my team directly it's fine you know we can't all like each other that's okay that's like one of my yeah. mottos in life I just go through and being like that's fine then one day 
okay. They asked me to go to coffee with them and I went and they asked again and then they started waiting for me to get in before they went to coffee. So they pushed their coffee date late. Yeah, and lo and behold, this woman and I got on like a house on fire because we are essentially (laughs) the same person. (laughs) So we're both like really staunch feminists. We don't suffer fools. We'd much rather be reading than talking to people. And what I interpreted as dislike in her was just her doing the equivalent of what I was doing, which was sussing out the situation before I started opening up and engaging. Mm. It's not that she didn't like me. She just didn't know me. And we both engaged in a series of judgments prior to actually getting to know each other, right? So I think it comes down to this. I am judgmental of others because I think I'm being judged all the time. And I am because I'm judging myself. What I judge others for is often what I judge myself for. And Mm. I read once that it's impossible to see a trait or a characteristic in someone else that you can't see in yourself. So whether it's something we've internalized from past criticism or some internal belief we hold. And when we judge others for whatever reason, what I really need to do is just look at the times when I've seen that behavior in myself. And even if I think like, oh, I would never do that, maybe I need to be curious about whether it's in fact all too easy for me to do that. And that is what I'm judging. Because then judgment just becomes a learning opportunity and a chance to be curious about someone else and more importantly myself, rather than being this thing that you just do and then not engage with. So yeah, that's my judgment story. I love that. It reminds me of that little saying, which is like your first thought is how you were raised, but your second reaction, the one where you self-correct, that's like who you're trying to be. So you might be like, oh, that's ugly that outfit's ugly but then you'd be like but like that person looks so happy wearing it and I would never wear it but that doesn't mean they're not happy wearing it right like you train yourself to be kinder even if your internal voice and my internal voice is a raging monster at times. <laughs> yeah, that's so true about the second thought. Like I do always try to rein it in. And I always leave room for people to prove me wrong. Like I'm open to people proving me wrong. Like if I've judged yeah. you harshly in the first instance, I am totally open to be proved incorrect. That's great. I'll leave that door. My like honest to goodness first memory of you is that the like you were standing by the stairwell at the magazine place. And you had all of this long, beautiful hair and you were just beaming at me and you were like, Mara said we should be friends. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so nice and so beautiful. So I don't know if that helps, but that's my, my first memory of you is you being like, we have a mutual friend. We should be friends. And I was like, someone noticed me. Huh? Okay, hello. Okay, but how inhospitable was that office, though? Like, oh there was, gosh, was no the culture. Like, I was terrified to go to the kitchen. It was so, like, aggressively unfriendly. It was like 1960 was the last time anybody had been in to clean it or update it. And we were all just struggling really hard to keep working in it. You know, they locked me in there once. They locked you in. No. It was Christmas Eve. And you know, like, how my little office was above the garage? Because that's normal. And, um, I went to take some papers over to the main building and they realized that everyone had left and no one had told me. So our building was locked and the other building was locked and I was just stuck in there and I had to call security to come and let me out. That's so mean. I can't believe that. What a great company. Not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that you've taken, like, you know this about yourself and you've you've been able to reframe it and look at it as an opportunity for examining your own self-judgment. That's awesome. And I would love for like everybody in this this section to do that too. Yeah, it would be useful, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'll do the chapter summaries. So the Raven boys turn up for a reading, but they're late. Things immediately get weird. Back at Monmouth, Ronan confronts Gansey about the argument with Adam. He tells Ronan that he would take all of them anywhere with him. Barrington Welk is now hot on Gansey's trail. Back at 300 Foxway, Blue interrupts Neve while scrying, only it wasn't Neve exactly, and later she and Kala conspire to snoop through Neve's rooms for answers. 
and Blue gets flowers from Adam. Aww. It's pretty little. It's so sweet. And I love carnations, so the fact that he sent her a carnation just makes me happy. They are. They smell so good. I love carnations as well. They do. They have that distinct florist smell, which I think is really lovely. They also last forever, and I'm all about mm. floral arrangements that last a long time. You don't want them to wilt right away. Yeah, not like roses. I'm sorry. Roses have no staying power. You know what's good? Uh, gladioli. Those go forever as well, and they're huge, so you can put them mm. like against a wall. You don't need art on that wall. But I can't have a lot of flowers because the cat thinks that she's some sort of predator and the flowers are all prey. So I don't Classic. want her to be poisoned. <laughs> um, so this was a very interesting set of chapters because we finally get to see Blue and Gansey interacting, like with Blue knowing that that is Gansey. Yeah. And my very favorite line in the whole book is in this section. And it always makes me laugh so much. And it is... All this time, she'd been wondering how Gansey might die, and it turned out she was going to strangle him. She's like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense that he's going to die now, because I'm, <laughs> I am going to kill him. They were right. I love that so much, because she's so annoyed that it's him, that it's President's cell phone turning up in her house. And, like, she's able to finally see, like, I, I sort of think of it like it's the vase with two faces. Like, she doesn't really know what he looks like, but then she actually puts it all together when she's got a bit of, like, time and space and she has the knowledge. But, like, it's wild to think that he was on the phone with her mother. Mm. And then her mother called her, and then they met, and then they actually officially met, like, the next day. As, as she says, right? Like, it's a spider web, and she's just been trapped in it now, and this is just all the little bits yeah. connecting. I love that moment as well when, you know he says hello again and Maura's like you've met and she has the same tone of voice that Gansey uses on Adam because like Adam needs to explain what is going on here and he's like I don't know so good I know and Blue felt unfairly persecuted by Maura's poisonous look like I didn't know lots of people come into my pizza shop mom um, there is, if you are following Maggie Steepwater's Substack, there is a chapter of this up that is like the rough draft of it, and it is very different. So it's as an interesting writing exercise to see how she changed it and what she changed about it. Mm. This particular chapter where they come for the reading is one that she revised and put the earlier draft up. And I think it might be for paid subscribers only, but I am because I think, you know, artists making art is something I want to support. Yeah. But, yeah. Very cool to read the differences and also to know that, like, yeah, she actually does pull her work in a lot more than you think. Like, it is not this polished in the first draft at all. No, and it's definitely something we all need to remember. I had a similar thought today because I'm rereading the Sandman comics because the Netflix show is coming out next month. And I was like, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember them being this intense, but they are intense. But anyway, in, in the back of one, um, Neil Gaiman had shared his script for the, the, the graphic, mm. not like for that particular issue. And so you can see the script and then see how it's been interpreted in the, the graphics. And it's, it's so wild to me that that's a whole process. When you're writing something like that, which is a visual medium, how you convey that back. Yeah, I love comics as a form. I'm just really bad at actually taking the time to go through them properly. So, um, okay. So yeah, I thought there was a lot of judgment. I thought that Blue's judgment was the one that I wanted to focus on the most because mm -hmm. there was so much of it like she kept having all these observations and I think her judgment of the boys is really complicated because she kind of like she wants to see them at a distance so she puts like their wealth and their privilege in between her and them all the time um so you know she says things like oh he probably looked at the clock on his Mercedes-Benz or Aston Martin and decided that he would rather go to racquetball or rock climbing than come to a psychic reading. <laughs> like, she's deciding these things about him rather than, no, actually, what Gansey's doing right now is he's picking up his best friend who didn't come to school because he was hit by his father the night before. Yeah, yeah. So her judgment's off, right? Yeah. 
And I love that as well because that to me was such a moment of connection that she doesn't know yet because she makes that observation being like, Gansy's not, Gansy is late and Adam didn't call. And she sees those are two separate things, but they're the same thing. Like Adam didn't yes. call because he got beat up by his dad and Gansy's gone to get him. I feel like Adam doesn't want to call her while he's still got a mark on his face. That's my gut feeling. With oh, him. Adam broke my heart here because he's like Blue. He's very judgmental, but he's also very judgmental of himself. Like he is judging yes. himself when he is like trying to cover up his Coca-Cola logo because now suddenly he would never have gone like that if he had known she was there, right? And Blue wouldn't have worn her baby blue top with a feather sewn in the collar. <laughs> and then, you know, when he says, does it make me look tough? And Ronan being just like real cruel comes in with like, it makes you look like a loser, which is also a judgment, right? Like he is being judgmental, yeah. but I think also jealous. I have a little more to say about that too. Yeah. I think that Ronan says these things. He's really horrible when he's scared. Oh, I totally think that too. Yeah. And he was horrible to Gansey. Like later in the chapter when Gansey's looking at this wasp and Ronan goes and like freaks out and kills the wasp for him. And he says, next time I catch you staring at a wasp, I'm going to let it get you. Like, screw that. He's just obnoxious when he's scared. Like, he's horrible all of the time, but his horribleness is different. Yeah, it's the vulnerability. And I saw this in Adam mm. as well. Like, there's that bit when Blue offers Adam the um, the tarot cards. Yeah. There's a line that says, there was something forceful and intentional about the gesture, more aggressive than he'd been the night he approached her. So that's page 144. And I think it's because Adam feels vulnerable. So when he's vulnerable, he goes real aggressive. And it's the same with Ronan. Like, when Ronan is vulnerable, mm. he goes all out offensive, like, intense yeah bites first yeah i noted that too and i had a question do you think that he's like that because i think it ties into the comment about gansey when gansey is polite on page 145 mm. it says when gansey was polite it made him powerful when adam was polite he was giving power away and so i was thinking about that and i was thinking about adam's sudden forcefulness the only way that he's been shown like masculinity in his life before he met these boys is through his father right and that like culture of abuse as power mm -hmm. so the power dynamics what makes him powerful is going to be really different. So I'm wondering if he's not politeness or kindness. Yeah, it does make Gansey more powerful because he's seeding something and therefore like he has that capacity to give. Like he's telling you that he has more of a well of well-being, right? Whereas Adam doesn't have as much because he hasn't been given as much. So it's like harder for him. Yeah. And I think there's something about, because as we discussed last time, like there's something manipulative in the way that Gansey approaches politeness, right? Like he's, he's weaponizing it as a way to get what he wants. Yeah. Whereas Adam doesn't have that. He doesn't have that ability. It's the same way that I think Ronan weaponizes judgment. Like, he judges people mm. so aggressively as, like, as a weapon, as an offensive. Like, when he says to Gansey, you know, that's a Declan question. Like, he's immediately all out aggro. And then he bags him out for not growing body hair, which I think is hilarious. R Ronan I may have read that out loud to my husband, and it made him laugh, too. Ronan's toxic masculinity, hey? It's off the wall. I just love it because he knows it matters to Gansey, but it doesn't matter to him. Like, he do he wouldn't say the same thing to Adam, who's just as, like, soft and fragile. No, right? he's doing it to wound. Yeah, he's picking at Gansey but not in a way that actually matters like when it when they do have a, a conversation later about what actually matters Ronan has to like pull himself together to say like is it true that you know you you're gonna leave and you're gonna take Adam with you so Gansey also has to like stop and recognize like oh this is a moment where Ronan is being vulnerable yeah and he says I don't want to hurt him like he knows that it's actually super easy to hurt Ronan which I find fascinating I'm really here Dadsy. for it Dadsy. <laughs> I have to say it because I live this, right? So I spend a lot of time thinking about how my words and my behaviors and my actions will hurt the people in my life who are vulnerable. And every time I see Gansey thinking, how can he say something to Adam to get him to do the thing that is actually the right thing without pushing him, but like kind of making it 
an accessible idea. This is exactly like, oh man, we should totally have broccoli. I bet broccoli would be delicious if we put cheese on it. It's the same thing. Just eat your broccoli, Adam, and stop complaining about your broccoli, Ronan. <laughs> I love when Gansy's like, we're all adults here. I'm like, are oh, you? You actually wrote that in my book and it made me laugh. Oh good, I wrote it in mine as well. <laughs> And it's so interesting because Blue then, when she talks to Keller later, she says, I need an adult, basically. I need an adult's opinion. Yeah, be the grown-up. I'd like to talk a little bit about Blue judging the boys for having this intimacy that she feels very outside of Mm. because the way she talks about it, she acts as if it's this assault on her. They filled the hallway to overflowing somehow, the three of them, loud and male and so comfortable with one another that they allowed no one else to be comfortable with them. And then she talks about how when they were sitting in the reading room, their presence robbed something from her. They made her family dingy just by coming here. And then she says later that she's strangely jealous. She wanted something like that, a bond strong enough to transcend words. Yeah. So I feel like she's recognizing the intimacy. And like, if you sit there and say, okay, here are three people that love each other and have their own private eye contact language. Well, that's the same as Maura and Persephone and Kala. Mm-hmm. Blue just hasn't been able to get past the, like, their Raven boys judgment in order to see it for like the intense connection that it really is. Yeah. She does make the comparison between her mother and her friends, right? When she says, I thought it was mm-hmm. something only they were capable capable of and then she sees these boys doing it and suddenly she's like oh other people have this as well and I think that's what really gets to her is that she doesn't have that with anyone so it's just a really stark absence to her like she's the only non-psychic in a family of psychics right but she also is like the only weird one at school and she only really wants she only really wants to be with her family so finding other people who are odd in Henrietta felt like it wasn't going to be possible because she'd already exhausted the like public school and she hadn't even thought that there was anybody at Aglinby worth getting to know and nothing about being odd has ever seemed to bother her before. Like she kind of reveled in that kind of otherness now. Yeah. Now suddenly it's come to the fore because on page 148, she says something about Gansey made her feel so strongly other that it was as if she had to guard her emotions against him. Mm. Suddenly she's so aware of this weirdness that's going on. But I think that's something she has in common with Adam too because I think Adam also feels other around Gansey. Like even though they've got an intimacy. Yeah. So it's that Adam feels like Gansey will never understand him and he's made that the narrative. So he he kind of holds him in this judgment of like oh you'll never get it and maybe he won't like there's no way that I could be as empathetic as I want to be for sure I wish I could be I wish I could understand people like fundamentally that would help so much but I can still try right mm-hmm. Adam has just decided and I think it's a protection thing like he's protecting himself but that does mean that he loses out on the opportunity to fully connect like he can't be fully vulnerable so he can't fully connect Blue is kind of evolving past it that's exactly what he gets in that reading right they say to him you've spent a lot of time learning to ignore your emotions but I don't think this is the time for it because he spent mm. all that time just parking everything and being super analytical and making decisions like oh Gansey will never understand me and that's yeah it's just he's so volatile he's like a little fuse box just waiting to blow yeah um i think that there's something with blue she feels guilty so her judgment her discernment is that she can't stand by and do nothing so gansy gets the death card and she's sitting there like oh my god he's gonna die he's gonna die i've seen him dead like this is going to happen and i'm gonna have a part in it like she can't not do something and she's been very sensible her whole life but this i think she's kind of trying to maybe justify this by being like well I can't be the kind of person who doesn't do this, who doesn't try and, and help in some way. Mm. And I, can I just flag something that cracked me up? When Mora was saying like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Leyline, <laughs> never met her. And it's on page 152. She says, Blue is a little stunned. She thought her mother was the most truthful person around. Blue, she told you your dad was Santa Claus. Like, <laughs> do you not think that maybe she tells fibs sometimes? Yeah, like lying by omission is still lying. (laughs) She's not truthful about stuff. She doesn't answer questions. (laughs) Like, she doesn't want to. And that's 
something you should know about your mother when you're 16. I told my daughter that Greek yogurt was ice cream, and for years she had plain Greek yogurt with sprinkles on it. And when she was about five, she realized and she told me that I was wrong and Aww. that real ice cream was so different and she would find some for me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, she's so good. So yeah, moms lie. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guilt by poor judgment. Gotta get it done though. Sometimes lying is the only way. Like I know lying is wrong, <laughs> but sometimes it's the only way. Lying for the greater good. Like sometimes you can just say I don't want to talk about it. I do appreciate that Gansey actually dug in there and said, Can you just tell me that you know what I'm talking about but you don't want to help? And she goes, Fine, I know what you're talking about and I don't want to help you. He's much easier with that because that's straightforward. Gansey really likes when people are clear with him. Yeah, that's one of my biggest issues at work is when people kind of talk around the issue and then they pretend pretend they'll be like oh you know we really value this is our values and this is this and that and like this is what we stand for and then they behave in a way that completely contradicts it i'm like i don't care if you want to do that thing that's fine but don't pretend that you're living a different life that you have different sets of values just be like this is how we're doing it like i would much yeah. more respect that than this nonsense about this subterfuge that they're trying to convince themselves about yeah if you're having conflicts about what you want to be doing and what you are doing it shouldn't be in the form of i'm gonna lie and say i'm this kind of person and then I will go and do the opposite thing. You should be ranting and raving about how you can't be doing the thing you want to be doing because the system will not let you be the kind of person you want to be. Yeah. Now we're being judgy. Yeah, what this like modus operandi, I'm telling you, that's I'm always judgy. <laughs> I tried to look at it as discernment as well. And I think that Mora was trying to use some discernment because it's very hard to figure out what she's actually taking in. Like we never get like, where's my AU of Mora's point of view of this whole thing? Like I want the backstory. I want her meeting Artemis and I want her raising Blue and her living with her like, I don't know, sistren in this house. Because I want to know what she hears when she's standing there with her finger on her jaw, feeling her own pulse and like trying not to panic at all of the noise coming out of these boys. Yeah. And how loud they are. Yeah, I do think that she spends a lot of discernment here. Like, she's really trying to be careful about what she says and what she does. And, like, even at one point, she's like, how are we going to do this? And Kala says that great line, you'll just have to do it this way. It is what it is. Mm. Take it or leave it. Doesn't matter what they want. Yeah, Kala's much quicker to say, like, this is the solution that we will have to do. Which is good, because I don't think Persephone has a path ever. And that's good judgment from Kala as well, because judgment's also mm. relying on your intuition, right? It's like making decisions. Mm. And I was really intrigued at this idea of the using tarot as a means to judge so the women are using the tarot to judge the boys' behaviour but also you use tarot as a means to make decisions like you can use it mm. to guide your decision making yeah. but if you think back about Welk's reading it's kind of like the tarot is a judgment being passed upon him it's a punishment in that sense so yeah. you've got this multifaceted use of that I love the way she uses it in this book this is so different to how I approach spending time with the tarot deck like I use it as like the question is inside of me the answer is also inside of me I'm just gonna like hone it a bit or refine it a little I'm not looking for something mystical it's more like the um I'm thinking of the reading practices from Harry Potter sacred text the one with the secret is that drosh or sewed? Sewed, is it sewed? sewed yeah yeah so it's like more like I'm looking for the secret to like make the meaning of it but it's in me it's not external whereas this is like yes there are forces controlling these cards well I mean that's the decision you have to make like do you believe in the spirituality of the cards that there are external forces that are driving the deck or are you just using it as a, another practice like as a spiritual practice to help guide mm. your own decisions you know whatever works for you works right yeah and look you can take any card and make it make sense in any way I've said before that my favorite card is the tower and that's the one that a lot of people run screaming from I don't know why Gansy's so worried about the death card it's not that bad well, as Adam literally said, if he'd gotten the tower though he would have to work on some things yeah. that would be the one to worry about 
Well, I like drawing a tarot card every morning and I just enjoy doing it. Just kind of like, mm. what am I going to focus on today sort of thing? And I drew all pentacles last week and I was just like, yeah, great. Because I've made this decision to buy a house with a mate, right? I'm like, look, Yay. they're coming up pentacles. This is good for me. Financial decisions are going well, people. We're working towards our goals. Yeah. So it's like reinforcing what you're already working toward, which is great. Yeah, it's just a focus. Yeah, and I think it's nice to have a framework. It's a bit like how we choose a theme and read through each section, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the same. It's like your theme for the day. Yeah. Um, Ronan is a skeptic, a bit like Welk. He believes in magic, but he's skeptical of them. I thought that was an interesting parallel. Yeah, and I love that he said, don't toss a playing card at me and spoon, me, spoon feed me some Jungian BS. Because that is all <laughs> about dream study. That's dream study psychology. That's, you know, bringing mm -hmm. your unconsciousness into the present through action. Like, dreams is a means of personality development. The fact that that is yep. the one that he's decided to throw out there to me is just delightful. So good, isn't it? Oh, I love him. He's so smart. It makes me mad how smart he is because he just doesn't try. I just love him so much. When he smiles his empty smile at Kala and he's just such a total piece of work. I just love him. I love that Kala's got his number though. She's like, no, you're a snake. You're not a boy. Yeah. And I wanted to flag that actually, because she says to him, you know, what are you? So that's another time that we've had that dehumanization of Ronan. You flagged it with the animal. Yeah. With the like leash your dog, Gansy. Yeah. So that's another time that's come up. He's not not human. He's just human plus, right? Yeah, exactly. But people are just... Yeah, people are really mean about him. It can't be good for you to constantly be told that you're not a human being because he doesn't know what he is. Like, he doesn't know what he's capable of. He's still trying to figure that mm -hmm. out. And then people are constantly telling him that, you know, what are you? You're a snake. You're a dog. To an extent, the yeah. way that he behaves is completely understandable if that's what you get told all the time. Absolutely. If you're told that you're going to be a badly behaved animal, you act like a badly behaved animal. People live up to what you expect of them. You were talking about Gansey's politeness earlier, and I kind of wanted to say I think that his politeness is like a default it's something that's trained into him and it's a way of stowing his judgment mm. so it actually takes him a little bit to say like look this isn't true is it he's trying not to be rude he's trying very hard to stay polite but he actually wants to get to the truth and, and he finally is able to sort of cough it up with Mara and say like just tell me you don't want to help me and she's like fine I don't want to help you bye but it takes him a really long time to like lose the veneer of politeness and the only times he really does is when like Ronan is hurt mm. and it's like that's a lousy thing to say to a kid like that's a pretty reasonable reaction when an adult has just made your best friend like leave the room mm. with something horrible like there's no excusing Kala what she said was horrible like it just wasn't okay to say so I think that Gansy uses his politeness as like a way of checking his judgment like he wants to be polite because he feels like everybody is deserving of that politeness but I'd love your thoughts on that I thought it was interesting he did quickly come to Ronan's defense right like he really and Adam sort of had to pull him up and pull him back in and be like we need to mm -hmm. be polite here we're here for a reason like you know let's get the thing yeah. done so and then he just shifts back into that persona that he has and blue makes the comment that she wished she'd seen him shift out of it because then she could have paid more attention to what was different yeah. which is also something that adams pointed out previously that there are two gansies right which is, i find fascinating but i also think it's so interesting that he goes through the whole spiel of like getting his tarot card drawn or whatever and then he just doesn't care about the outcome and he says you know i'm quite okay with finding that out for myself like i 
had didn't come here to have my future told. And why didn't he why go through the charade? That's what I don't understand. Does he think that's polite to go through the whole reading? I think I would say that that's why he did it. Yeah, mm. because this is the thing. Like he believes that there is magic. Ronan's faith is perfect. Adams is imperfect, but they have definitely experienced some of the energy of the ley line, and they're definitely feeling something. So like all three of them going was kind of like taking the temperature and getting a reading. Mm. I think was taking a temperature. And like we get like the person who gets the most out of that reading 100% is Adam. Yeah, he actually gets a proper guidance. Yeah, and so he needed it whether Gansey knew that or not. So I think it was useful in that way. But also it's a sign of respect, right? Like maybe he's just trying to be respectful of their profession, compensating them for their time. I don't know. You're probably right that it's more like, let's see if they're worthy, like if they're legit, right? Like it's trying to see if they actually know what they're talking about, which Ronan then tries to do very impolitely. Ronan does not want to be made foolish. On Gansey and Ronan, I did want to ask you about that moment when they have the confrontation and Ronan's asking him, you know, are you going to leave with Adam? And on page 163, it says, he had let jealously sneak into his voice and that made Gansey's response cooler than it might have been. Gansey tried not to play favourites. I found it interesting that he was put off by Ronan's jealousy. What do you make of that? I didn't think he was put off. I think he, instead of being like warm and empathetic, he was like taking a step back and letting Ronan have that moment without being like I acknowledge that you have feelings I think he was like right "Right, okay we're gonna discuss this rationally like men like I think he was kind of giving Ronan that space right because I read cooler as being like oh I'm not gonna engage with this because you're just being silly yeah Yeah. that's not a thing because I don't play favorites and therefore like I'm just gonna be really dismissive of your concern it's hard I really do think that he's kind of like giving Ronan space there like giving him that like respectful space so he's not like no 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 of course I will take you anywhere with me he just has to say it like in a calm way like I would take you both of you anywhere with me there's something Ronan says that I have a question about Mm -hmm. and I would like your opinion yeah on page 164 Ronan's trying to explain his like weird vibe to Gansey and he says this thing with Chainsaw (laughs) and the psychic woman and just with Noah and I think there's something strange going on what do you mean with Noah Ronan come back here Ronan explain yourself yeah he's obviously noticed something different about Noah right because that's why he raises it but we haven't seen that in the text that there's anything suspicious going on with Noah yeah and also how would Noah have known that thing that conversation because that happened in Adam's garage didn't it Mm -hmm. so that's a weird thing because Ronan says Noah told me that if you leave you're taking Parrish with you which isn't the conversation they had at all it's just weird it's weird I don't know unless Noah was trying to force the conversation for Ronan to admit everything to Gansey so he was doing a bit of manipulation himself the thing that got me about that conversation I just need to find mm. it. Um, yeah, he says, I thought you would believe me of all people. You've given them nothing to believe. You're just talking about the issue. You're being so vague. And then like, you should just believe me because he's talking about everything weird with yeah. him, right? And he just wants Gansy to like believe him, but he hasn't told him anything. And I just love that line at the top of that page where, you know, Gansy makes the observation. It was a full stop. The sort that Gansy associated with secrets and guilt. It was the stop that happened when you'd made up your mind to confess, but your mouth betrayed you and the end just communicate people i I need you to communicate talk to each other um another place i saw judgment was with neve oh yeah like her bad judgment because she's (laughs) yeah well the terrible judgment to scry in the middle of the night for things she doesn't understand Mm. but also just she's drawing conclusions about henrietta right like she is making judgments all the time about what's going on here she makes that comment about it's easy to be a psychic here which to me seems a bit dismissive of everyone else's abilities um yeah and then Blue judges Neve. She judges her for like scrying in the middle of the night and engaging with these dark forces and that's why she goes to Kala and yeah. yeah. And Kala says, you know, I think there's 
it's become something else for her because she's been here a Kel's while. Kel's got her finger on the pulse, I think. Like, Kel's on to it. Mm. She's aware. That's why she agrees to be in cahoots with Blue about finding out what Neve's really up to. That is scary, that whole section with Neve under the tree. Yeah, it's not a great feeling. I wanted to draw a little parallel between when Blue is in the reading room with the Raven boys and she's like, Blue's skin was hot. She imagined herself heating like an electrical conduit, sparks from all parties traveling through her. And then when she's out there in the garden in like the pre-dawn with not Neve under her tree and she's like thinking, I am inside a bubble, she thought furiously. I am a fortress. There's a glass all around me. I can see out, but nothing can get in. I am untouchable. So it's almost like in the reading room, she was like opening herself up. Like she was like reverse protection like she was sort of like oh I am imagining that I am this conduit and I kind of wonder if it works Mm. that way if she can like choose to be more of a conduit because you know her mom has taught her how to protect herself from like a psychic attack and it does seem to work like the candle flame doesn't get her her goosebumps go away the thing the feeling subsides for the most part but yeah just it was an interesting parallel to think that she was like opening herself up to it in the reading room but then out there with not Neve, she was inside the turtle shell very bad sinister vibes definitely she used her good judgment there and trusted her intuition to be like this is not a good time she's a very sensible kid she really is or for you blue um Ugh, creepy. so creepy i'm just offended that she was at blue's tree leave the tree alone and i tree count two tree references yes. in that section standing under the beech tree it felt like she was the beach that the rain rolled off her leaves and off her bark smooth as skin against her own tree watch 2021 i do love tree watch what else oh yeah welk welk and his judgment he's being super judgmental of gansey right yeah. like he's like and now gansey was a king here and he didn't even know how to use it and he calls him a stooge <laughs> brute <laughs> look gansey's doing just fine thanks like he's all right he's not gonna murder yeah, any of his just, friends by the end of the year okay you just want fundamentally different things and that doesn't make gansey a bad person just because he doesn't have the same weird obsessions that you do also why does welk think controlling the ley line and equals money i don't understand where the money comes from like how does having control of the ley line give you any sort of riches i think it's the power he wants the power because power can confirm money does that make sense like you could then compel things i i don't know i guess i just don't see how what use it has i'm trying to see how you could use the line in order to gain power to convert into the kind of power that he wants right like that kind of socioeconomic power i just it's, it's a bit like he wants Ronan's ability to pull things out of dreams, but he doesn't know that that's actually what he wants. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I just don't see him manifest. Like, if he has control of the ley line, he's not going to manifest anything. That's not going to give it. I just don't understand. I don't get it. No, that would not be a good outcome. Honestly. Obviously, he's in a really bad place. But I think he has decided that he's going to live inside of his judgment. Like, he's judging everybody for being... Like, he just wants to not have to think about privilege, and he just wants it. You know what I mean? Like, he just wants everything to be easy. And it's so childish. Mm. It really shows a lack of maturity, that he wants things to be solved for him. And he doesn't... He isn't interested yeah. in solving them himself. And this this is what really bugs me about Well, because, like, this is a person who's reasonably intelligent and could probably have found a better solution if they had just looked 10% harder. Don't go back to the school where you were disgraced. Don't teach there. Oh my gosh, teach somewhere else. Go do something else. Like, you don't have to be there. You could leave and start your life again somewhere else. Like, he stays in the same place and lets himself be constantly bothered by this lack of whatever it is he has or wants. Yeah, he's just trapped in his misery, right? Like, he's trapped by everything that he's lost and he wants to be miserable about it. He is Snape. He's doing a Snape. Yes, yes. 
yes, I think that's it. Like he's literally in a cage and the door is open and he's looking out the other three walls and he's like, look at all these bars. I can't leave. Uh, like the door's open right behind him. Like he could just turn yeah, around. Yeah, just turn around. But he won't <laughs> because that's not the direction he wants to look in. It's very annoying. Super annoying. Um, The best part of this, I think, is when Noah tells Gansey not to throw his life away. That was my favorite part when Noah says don't throw it away. Yeah. It reminds me that Noah loves Gansey and has loved him since he met him. And even Gansey kind of understands that Noah is not entirely himself. There's a, there's something on the same page, on page 165, where he, something about looking at Noah's face reminds him of all those anxious faces looking up at him that day several years before when he died. And Noah says, don't throw it away. Like, it's it's really important that Noah says this because he's giving himself to Gansey in this. It's a really beautiful and generous moment. Beautiful mm. connection. I just love it. Yeah, and I mean, it comes just after Gansey's just been staring at this wasp on the window. Yeah. Yikes. I hate wasps. Yeah, they're not great. Um, I I wanted to talk a little bit about connection, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I really stuck with judgment because I feel like the connections are just starting. Yeah, I just but we again saw that connection between friend groups, like that wordless communication mm. that we see between Maura, Penelope, and Keller, and then Adam Gansey and Ronan as well. But the one connection that Blue makes is when obviously Gansey turns up and she says that meant the journal belonged to him. That meant Adam belonged to oh, him. Oh yeah. And I just wanted to focus on that line because. It would kill Adam to know that she thought of him as belonging to Gansey. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? And also why she thinks that. She thinks you know? he's a little ringleader. I find Adam so fascinating because he is so afraid of losing his agency. Mm. But he's still making decisions. And isn't every decision an act of agency in and of itself? By making a decision, you are acting, yeah. right? Like, isn't that what free will is? So by him, you know, he's choosing to stay at his father's place. That is a decision. Yeah. He has made that decision. He is acting. And he acts like he has no control over his life. But that it, that is a thing that you've chosen to do. He could also decide to go live with Gansey. Or make a third option. Yeah. As Maura has pointed out, there are other choices. There absolutely are other choices. I mean, I think this really captures something that I feel very strongly, which is that when you're a teenager, everything feels like it's the end of the world. Like you you haven't grown enough and been flexible enough for long enough to really get the fact that you have choices. Yeah. And he just hasn't. And this is good writing for a frustrating character that he hasn't grown into this ability to be flexible yet. And I really resonate with it because I really struggled with that too, especially at this age, especially with difficult decisions around like where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do and whether I went away to school mm. or not. You know you have to make this decision, but it's still going to be hard and you're not able to unmake it. But you're right that Adam has a lot of agency. He just thinks he needs to have complete control over the choices he's offered. That's absolutely right. Like everything needs to be... It's not good enough to make a decision. It needs to be something that he controls or something that he has orchestrated, yeah. right? Like it has to come from him. It has to all be internally driven. It can't just be responding to the world around him, which is wild because how many decisions do we ever make in our lives that are actually like that? I would posit none. Oh, yeah. What decision have I ever made that's not been influenced by an outside series of events? My entire life took a sharp turn when I met my husband and moved to Australia. Didn't see that coming. Mm, it's just it's fascinating I find Adam really interesting I really feel for him like I feel like he's in such a hard position and he just doesn't have the tools to get out like he doesn't have the tools to process what he's going through and yeah, yeah. well this was my in-depth marginalia was this particular quote about making a third option right. making like there isn't a right choice it's just the one you can live with well that's good we can get more out of that then <laughs> do you want me to go ahead <laughs> I did have one other thing about connection oh yes 
one that it's in the section page 173 it says she recalled that feeling of connection of feeling tied up in this web of raven boys and sleeping kings and ley lines so you know blue is a real focal point a real connector like she's drawing everything together she is the you know she says she's at the edge of the web but she's actually the center of the web i think because she's all of them right she's judgmental in the same way that adam is um she's receptive in the same way that gansey is she yearns like gansey does she's got that same aloof coolness that ronan does she is all of them Mm. but better because she's blue and i love her and i also love that we've gotten that little connection between Ronan and the weird space as Keller calls mm-hmm. it now, right? So, you know, she says he's creating, that space is creating too. Like, this is really seeding for the future that we'll see later, which is, I just love. I love that you can pick it up now when you reread it and you know where it's going. I love that line because she's like, do you remember that woman who came in who was pregnant with quadruplets? This is like that, but worse. And then Blue's like, he's pregnant? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> there was a lot of connection between Gansey and death in this section Mm. like obviously you have the whole wasp thing but you know when chainsaw wakes them up Gansey makes that comment about you know he was sure death was involved the next line is noah stood in the doorway so like death is kind of involved and then he talks about a long time ago he'd been given another chance needing that to matter felt heavier it's just a lot of death around Gansey in this section yeah he should be dead but he isn't like he thinks that he feels like he Mm. has this undeserved second chance like to get right down to the philosophy of it do any of us really deserve to be alive do we deserve to die like death doesn't care right it's arbitrary and i i honestly don't believe people deserve to die this is the whole problem with the COVID discourse that i struggle with is this that you know we've entered the space where we've gone what level of human death is acceptable like what is the economic value of a human life like at what point do we just accept that yeah 20 people are going to drop dead every day and that's fine like that's where we're at and that is messed up yeah it is hugely not okay i'm with you on this it's the thing that bothers me the most about it like i will stay home forever if it means that we will get what like one more person surviving for me not leaving my house that's worth it to me a human life is worth some of my discomfort if you were given people that direct choice would people make the same choice like if i put a gun in someone's head and i said sure you can get out of lockdown but you have to go shoot someone on your street would they do it there would be some people who probably would yeah but how many not everyone and it's because it's not like immediate they don't have to see the consequences they don't have to feel the guilt they just get to exist it's just a number yeah 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 it's not real because it's too big but it sucks and i hate it i also hate it i try not to think about it because it stresses me out the best we can do in this time i think is just to do our best live and let live and try not to be too angry with them and hope that they understand what they're doing and rectify it before it's too late don't be too judgmental Well, you can judge them, but like my problem with being judgmental, I think, is that sometimes if you're too judgmental, it can be really easy to alienate people who are changing their minds. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Because I would love to just be like, nope, this is me. I'm unapologetic. I don't see the gray spaces, but I feel like if I leave that Mm. wiggle room, then someone who's maybe edge case too far gone will come back and say, well, hang on a second. She hasn't written me off completely. Maybe we can talk and like be receptive because I've been kind. Like, that's what I try and do it's really hard in this like era of cancel culture and like no nuance to do that though yeah it's okay guys everybody just chill don't always assume the worst all right do you want to do your in-depth marginator now that i've distracted yeah, you yeah oh well <laughs> okay so um i chose adam's discussion with mora and persephone because i thought it was really interesting the way that Mora frames his options so adam does actually ask on page 145 what's the right choice and 
After a little bit of discussion, Maura and Persephone sort of chat about it, and then Maura says there isn't a right one, just one that you can live with. They also tell him not to be so emotional about it, which we've already covered. Now, we know that Adam's judgment is not perfect. Like, we've talked about this before, how he sees Gansey as being, like, one person or another person, but he can't really reconcile the two, and he's he's not unable to make his own decisions unless he's fully in charge of them. Like, he can't not look a gift friend in the wallet or whatever. Um, but this is a good example of why, because he isn't feeling things in a healthy way. So I think that the emotions that he's not letting himself feel means that he's not processing it which means he gets more stubborn and his connection his ability to connect is like the ley line like it's really staticky and kind of jammed up in places like there's too much to get through for him to actually be feeling it and connecting in the way he should be so I thought about that a bit um and I know that I've talked about this movie before this is the other text that it reminds me of but it's uh Frozen 2 after Anna's been like jet skied away from Elsa on her little ice flow you know she thinks that her sister's walked into her own death and she's like really upset she's grieving she's heartbroken and she's She's really furious with her sister, but she has to get up and save their little community on the Ford. So she has this beautiful, tearful song, and Kristen Bell owns my heart forever. She sings about doing the next right thing. And like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this, like, mm. because I take this really seriously. Like, sometimes you do have to get up and like, everything seems terrible, but like, what are you going to do? The next right thing. What's the next step that you can do that's the right thing to do? So yeah, I think Adam, sometimes it's the choice you can live with, but also there, it's, there is a right choice here and the right choice is to get yourself out of the bad situation if you have the means and the ability to get yourself out of the bad situation get yourself out of the bad situation there's something about that that Adam doesn't want to grow into the kind of person that he perceives he would be if he took that out with Gansey but I think that he could still be a great person if he did that and he needs to be okay with growing into the kind of person who can accept help from his friends and he's just not there yet so what choices mm. we make the agency we have we need to think about it in terms of like what choice can we make that we want to grow into so even if we don't mm. have a right option maybe that's the direction to look like where do we want to grow with that mm. that's really good how about you um mine is on page 182 and it's uh the line what i think keller said is that you've already made up your mind so the context is that Blue has just ambushed Keller to help her find out what Neve is up to. And this is just after she's just asked her if she should tell the Raven boys mm. about the corpse road, right? I think this is a huge judgment call for Blue because there are no firm rules here to help her make this decision. She's relying on her own intuition and her own gut instincts mm. to make this decision, right? And she's asking Keller for advice because they are connected and they are family. So we've got that in the themes. But she doesn't actually need advice. She's already decided what she's really looking for is validation. I have done this in my own life so many times. Like I've made a decision, known what I want to do, and then I go and ask for advice because I simply want someone to affirm the decision that I've made. Fair enough. You know, just to make you feel like it's the right one. But sometimes there is no right or wrong answer. You're just doing what you think is right. I think it is like Adam's choice as well. There's only the one you can live with. It's not yeah. always black and white. It's not that simple. Life is nuanced and there are so many different things going on. Yeah. So we do the best with the information that we have. And for me personally, this has often led to conflict because because sometimes the advice I get back does not line up with what I want to do. <laughs> or in the case of my mum, which drives me absolutely insane, she straight up refuses to give me advice. <laughs> she won't give me her an opinion. So she's like Kala. She'll just be like, oh, you know, what makes you think I can answer that question? Or you just do what you think is right. It used to drive me absolutely bananas <laughs> because I'm so anxious about the decision that I'm making. And she's just like, oh, whatever. No, woman. I need you to give me decisions. I need you to help me here. But in the long run, I've gotten very good at trusting my instincts. And I know my instincts are good. And for the most part, I have actually got the conviction to stand by my decisions, even when the result is not as good or right as I need it to be. So I think maybe that is what my mum taught me by not wanting to interfere 
And I think what this section actually caused me to do is to reframe the question and ask other people for what I really need. So I don't need validation. What I need is honest feedback to help me manage the outcomes of the decisions I've already made. So it's not a what should I do question. It's a this is what I'm going to do question and then listen so that I'm better prepared for the consequences of that decision, mm. if that makes sense. So if I say to you, I'm going to do this and you can be like, that's great. But here is what could go wrong with that. Then at least I know. Yeah. So that's kind of where I landed with that. That's great. I love that. Also, your mom and I are complete opposites because <laughs> I shed opinions like a frog spawning. Honestly, it used to drive me absolutely crazy. I'm like, I need you to have an opinion. I need you to make like, just make a decision. Tell me your opinion. But this is the thing. It took me a really long time not to take it personally when people didn't follow my advice. And so I had to be okay with like, okay, you know what? I am going to have an opinion about this. I am like 94% opinion, but they don't have to take it because I don't take anybody else's advice really. <laughs> and that's, that's fine. But like, I love to give advice. I love having solutions. I'm the person who, when you say you're going to do a thing, I'm like, great, tell me all about it. Here's something else I Googled and I just learned about this. And like, will you also do this? Like, I'm the annoying one. Kind of love your mom's take on this. She's like goals. I, the advice I give to people is from a very level-headed person that I am not, but you know, that's okay. You give great advice. Well, I always think like, what do my friends need? And if they need advice and they come mm. to me, I'm like, I can help. So sometimes they do just need to complain and that I'm really bad at like not giving advice. So I mean, I sometimes just preface now when I talk to people being like, I'm just going to complain. I'm not looking for advice because it just avoids the issue later mm. on. Good. Because then people are like, oh, you know, you're annoying me by giving me advice. I'm like, just tell me you don't want it. Then I won't give it to you. Yes, that works for me. I love being told exactly what my expectations are. Clarity is good. <laughs> um, who do you want to spotlight this week? So I was kind of tossing up between Adam and Ronan. And I've decided to spotlight Ronan. Because I think, you know, I love him. But yeah. I love that he just barrels on in there and like destroys this wasp for Gansey and he's so mad about it but he's so willing to fight other people's battles like battles for the people that he loves he's just straight in there we'll see this again later right like he just goes in doesn't think about the consequences he's just right there and he is missing so much in his life like he's still mourning his dad he's still confused about who he is and what yeah. he can do but he's still gonna be there for his mates even though he is 100% grumpy all the time he's the Roy King <laughs> He is, but he doesn't have any of the softness yet. He's just all grouch. Yeah, we'll get there. He'll get there. So for all those people who barrel on in and fight their friends' battles, that's a big shout out to you. Someone needs to do it. Well done, Ronan. It's hard caring for people. It really is. Um, how about you? Oh, I would like to spotlight Blue this week. Hmm. She's really called to do the right thing, and I think she's really struggling because she's never been told not to do something before by her mom and that's hard like she's really bothered by it and she knows it's unfair because both Kala and Persephone point out that like this isn't coming from a particularly sane place like Mora is doing this as an emotional response and so Blue's kind of emotionally responding but I love that she's decided she's going to do it for the right reasons like she is interested and she does feel like her fate is connected to these boys but also she can't just stand by and let Gansey die like it, it doesn't sit well with her mm. and I love that that's one of the driving factors. She feels complicit. She feels guilty. She needs to be there to help prevent or stop or mitigate it in some way. And I get that. I take the responsibility of the world on my shoulders too. So it's hard to do the right thing. Um, sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. And sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. And when it's really not sensible and you're a sensible person. Poor Blue. She deserves that. She's trying. It's hard out there, man. And it's hard. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 20 through 24 through the theme of questing, Yay. which is great. 
I love a good search. And then we're halfway, which is just mind-blowing to me. It's so good to just spend this much time with them. I just love them all so much, though. So, yeah. Me too. I, amazing. My notes are out of this world. I probably only wrote down half of what I actually underlined. Yeah, I really reined it in this week as well. <laughs> I'm like, you can't keep doing this. It's three pages worth of notes every week. This is ridiculous. I know. I'm going to have to start limiting myself to like five or seven or something. Just like, these are the ones we're going to talk about. These ones. Mm. That's it. But we'll see. We'll see how we go. We'll get better. <laughs> Oh, thank you for potting with me. I'm so glad we caught up and I'm so glad we did this. That's always a delight, honestly. The highlight of my day. Same. Best part of the week, Saturday afternoon. It's amazing. Can't wait for next week. I can't wait either. I'll see you then. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.